Today we're going to start, um, as Ashley said, with the book of James, and I invite you just to pray with me before we dive into God's word. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today. I pray that you would speak through me, that I wouldn't stand in your way, and that all of us would have ears to hear you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to be start from the very first verse, and you can put it on up there, Sean. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. Now the first thing, no, no, stay back there. The first thing that you see, the first little bit is this letter. And a lot of times when we think of letter, we think of, at least for me, I think of Paul's letters. And Paul's letters seem to be written to very specific people at a very specific time for a reason. But James' letter seems to be written to all of us believers to encourage us in our faith. Um, James seems to be, um, most of his, his stuff that he's written seems to be influenced by Jesus, especially Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and also the book of Proverbs. The Bible Project, which we're going to watch a few weeks down the road, I love how they summarize James. They say it's a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. So I'm just giving you a little heads up of what's coming in these next few weeks as we look at James. Now, notice it says this letter is from James. Now, who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. But notice he calls himself a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I were the half-sister of Jesus, if I was writing it, I would say this letter is from, Je- from Justina, the half-sister of Jesus. I'd want to get that in there. But he doesn't. Why? And I think one of the reasons is because he recognizes he doesn't have authority as the half-brother of Jesus, but he has authority as someone who sees Jesus as Messiah, as a believer in that time. He's a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized who Jesus was, and he was also saying, look, I'm one of you, as he's writing to these, um, to the 12 tribes. The Jewish believers scattered abroad. Now, when did this happen? This is right after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, and there was crazy persecution going on. And James was writing just after they'd all been scattered, all had to leave their home. And um, another quick thing about James, James was a leader in Jerusalem um, shortly after Peter. He was there for about 20 years, and uh, this letter is written soon before he is murdered. Now, he wrote this to encourage them. So keep that in your mind as we read the next thing, and you can go to the next one. Dear brothers and sisters, when, not if, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He wrote to encourage them. They're in the midst of persecution. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. To me, that just sounds like a guy's way of encouraging. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But we're going to continue on because it explains how, and we're going to talk about that later as well. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now we talked about at the beginning just that they were going through persecution, because he says, when troubles of any kind come your way, Well, what other troubles were James's audience going through? Well, not only were they going through persecution, but all through James we see talking about um, poverty, being poor. There was a famine going on, so they were hungry. And a lot of times this poverty really seemed to go with the religious persecution that was happening at that time. 
But he also mentions when troubles of any kind come your way. So I don't even think it was just those big things. I think it was things that we could also relate to today. Things like when you move. Has anybody here ever had to leave home and move somewhere else? I'm thinking lots of people have. And it's a hard thing to do. There's loneliness, sickness, um, could be even death, disappointment. All of those things were also things that, that they must have been feeling and some of the troubles that must have been going on in their life. Now he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He doesn't say, joy is the only thing you can feel, which is good because when you're being persecuted, I'm sure you're not feeling joy every moment. But he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And I think the next few verses show us why. Um, Because we know that God is going to use these trials to make us more like him. God has a purpose in this and he's going to use them. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. If you look further down, you'll see our faith is tested. Now, this tested, usually the imagery is of a silversmith. And I know a number of you have heard this before, so bear with me. But what a person who is trying, a silversmith is trying to do when he's trying to get out the impurities, and hopefully I've got this sort of right, is he heats the metal, and as he heats the metal, the impurities come to the top, they scoop out the impurities, and they heat it again, and they get it even hotter and get out more impurities, and they keep doing that until the silversmith can see his reflection in the hot metal. And as I was reading that, it was like, wow. So Jesus continues to put us through trial after trial until he can see his reflection in us, until we look like him. Now the word, um, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. That word endurance, uh, the Greek word is hupomoni. I know, it's a fun word. It kind of reminds me of spamoni or something, hupomoni. And Um, hupomone, that word endurance, when it was first translated, if you look in the King James, you'll see the word is patience. Patience is okay, but it's not the full thing. Endurance is a much better word because patience for us kind of has the uh, idea of a non-active. It's just kind of sitting and waiting. Endurance is active. And hupomone means to stand under and hold the weight or one who is not swerved by his deliberate purpose, perseverance. It's not just waiting out the trial, being patient, it's being active during the trial. And as I was reading this um, and looking at the scripture, um, a picture had come across my Facebook, and we're going to just pop it up there for a second, because this to me was endurance. Anybody see this picture? This young man said that he could not bear to leave his parents behind, so he carried them over to the Bangladesh border, walking barefoot for seven days to help them escape their brutality. That's endurance. He doesn't look like a really big, beefy guy with lots of muscles. It looks like it was a really, really hard thing to do. And that, to me, is endurance. Um, So you see, perseverance, you can go back to the scripture we were just on. Perseverance is not the final goal of testing. The benefits of testing come to those who respond to them in the right way. We must allow endurance to do its work. Life is hard, but trials should produce endurance, shape character, encourage trust, and make believers whole and perfect. But only when we allow and respond correctly. It's our attitude. Notice it says opportunity for great joy. We have an opportunity. We can choose to learn from it, 
and let God mold us, or we can just say, oh, I'm just going to get through this. I don't understand why God always does this. Why do I always go through these things and never learn? And I think sometimes that's where I am, because I sometimes notice the same kind of trials coming over and over again. And it's like, hmm, maybe God's trying to work something in my heart, and I haven't quite heard him. And so I need to keep going through until my attitude changes, and I recognize God's trying to do a work in me, and what do I need to hear, and what do I need to learn? Verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like the little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. But God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, so it's not only trials that are a part of our life, but temptation is too. And they often seem to go hand in hand. But it says that afterward, they will receive a crown of life Now, as a little girl, when I think of a crown, I kind of think of a princess tiara and jewels in it. But this crown in here, the metaphor, the words that they're using is kind of like what you would receive for winning the race. I can't remember what they're called, like a laurel or something like that, where you would get this crown at the end of the race. And that's the kind of crown that they're talking about here. The crown that you get at the end of the race. We're going to keep going to verse 13. Remember when you are being tempted, do not say... God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Now that verb, um, when you are tempted, do not say, it's a command. In fact, it kind of should read, don't you dare say that that it's God's fault. The origin of desire is from you, not from God. But we don't like to hear that. We're good people. We don't want to hear that it's our fault. But you know what? You can see with us that we often play the blame game. In fact, you see it in little, little kids. Um, They learn really quickly that they don't want to say it's my fault. It could be the dog's fault. It could be their imaginary friend's fault. It's always someone else's fault and not theirs. Or if you look all the way back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, it was the woman's fault. It was the serpent's fault. It wasn't their fault. Simple rule is, whenever you are tempted, it's your fault. Verse 14 says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And that word entice um, comes from a fishing metaphor. Now, I don't have a really real fishing rod here today, because, well, I don't own one. But I have been fishing a number of times. And... uh, As a kid, I went fishing in my grandpa's boat, 
And as I got older, well, I have a real fear of water now, so I don't get in the boat anymore. But I've gone fishing a couple times, like over a bridge or on a dock. And there's something really cool for me, at least, when I can see the fish in the water, and I take my little lure, and I can put it in front of them, and kind of like, here, fishy, fishy, come on, you'll get you. Anybody ever gone fishing? Okay, maybe not my way, but who's gone fishing before? Come on, admit it. We've got some fishermen. Okay, good. Um, and there was something for me, and I was able to catch a few and throw them back in. I didn't touch them, but anyways, um, it was kind of neat. And that's what Satan does to us. He, he lures us. He, he entices us. And he uses his lure, and he comes up to us, and he's trying to get us. No, that's not going to work. Well, I have an idea. I'll change what's on the, uh, the fishing here. Let's see. If, if that's not going to work, let's try... Let's try some money. Hmm, is that going to work? <laughs> and he'll put that in front of us, and he'll keep trying, because he knows that we have all stuff inside of us, and there's things that we want. We all have stuff, and we know it's not right, but we still desire it. We want more. And he'll keep enticing us. And if it's not this, he'll try something else. And the thing is, it's not even doesn't even feel like it's just one fishing rod in front of us. Sometimes it feels like there's 50. There's things surrounding us all over the place trying to get us to, uh, to give in to that temptation. Verse 15 says, These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You see, basically, we have a choice. The lure is in front of us, and we can either go for it or swim away. The imagery in this verse is really rough because basically they're saying conception happens when I go for the lure, and then it grows, and we're excited. Kind of like when a real baby, when there's conception, you're excited. You can't wait till that baby gets here. We go for these things, and we're excited about the pleasure that's going to come for them, but what comes instead is death, the images of a stillborn baby. It's kind of like that game show, Let's Make a Deal. We're looking for the best prize, but we end up with the zonk. <laughs> looking for more pleasure, but left with nothing. We trade everything we have, and we get death in return. A bit of money that will burn, you would leave God for that. A relationship that will soon end? Don't be fooled. I chose all of these things over you, and this is what I get. I chose this, and I get hell. Literal hell, separation from God. James goes on to say, So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, become his prized possession. So it's not even actually like, let's make a deal, because we know what's on either side. We know what's in each box. Jesus offers wholeness, eternal life. Yes, there's going to be trials, but God has great gifts for us. He loves us and wants us to become mature and become complete. There's no bait or switch with him. 
Now, yes, yeah, some people think that if I become a Christian, my life will be easy and everything will be great and I'll have lots of money. But that's not what God said. In fact, God said it's going to be hard. But he loves us and he has good gifts for us both now and after. John 10.10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's over here. But over here, God says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. James is saying, dear people, I love you so much. Don't take the bait. He's warning all of us. Temptation is real. Swim away or it'll be death. In fact, not even just swim away, but swim towards Jesus. Don't turn your back on a God who loves you. One reason to turn away from temptation, this side, God is better. He loves us. There's not even a comparison with this side. We're going to watch a a short video, um, a clip of a guy named Nabil. He's a Christian Pakistani-American physician who's who's a convert from Islam. He was a speaker with Rave Zacharias Ministries and also the author of three books. He recently died of stomach cancer on September 16th, so a few weeks ago, at the age of 34. Let's watch this together. You know, here I am. You know, I've been given a diagnosis last August. I was told that I would have about nine months to live. Praise God, it's been more than nine months. The only thing that's died has been my hairdo. But let's say the worst should happen, and let's say God should take me through this disease. I had all these months to prepare for it. I had all this time to spend with my wife and my daughter, more memories to make, loose ends to tie up, tell my parents I love them, write more works, write more things to tell the world. This didn't have to happen. God could have taken my life just like that. The end could have come just like that. It happens for people all around the world. So who am I to say that this is a tragedy of the worst order? It's not. There's much worse that's going on in the world today. But no matter what is going on, I cannot think of something worse than being crucified. And of all the reasons to be crucified, I cannot think of anything worse than to be crucified because I love the people who are crucifying me. To save the very people who are crucifying me. That is the worst. And I think about what Jesus went through for us on the cross. When I start feeling self-pity and I start thinking, what is happening to me? I just turn my eyes to Jesus. I say, Jesus, what You did for me on the cross far outweighs anything I'm going through right now. There is nothing I am going through that compares to what you went through for me. I will not forsake His name. In the face of any pain, in the face of any suffering, I will not forsake His name. And here's the thing, finally, to close with. If death should come... And by the way, I'm believing for a miracle. I believe in in the words of Jesus. 
Now, a lot of people say to me, Nabil, you're not interpreting scriptures correctly, but I read Matthew 8, 17, and it says, He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And I just think, I think it means He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. <laughs> they say the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus came to bring us life and life to the full. I say this is what He came here for. Well, that's another talk for another day. Should the worst happen, should life end, guess what? It's actually only beginning. Because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, it is just the beginning of our real life. Though we're, we're seeing life as if through a veil right now. You know, we see beauty, we see colors, we see sunsets, we taste tastes, we hear music, we see art, we think this is all so beautiful. This is nothing compared to what waits for us on the other side of this life. And we have assurance that we will be there because of the work of Jesus Christ. So how can we ask the question, God, why is there suffering if you're a loving God? The only way we can ask that question is if we're so hopelessly myopic and short-sighted on our own pains. Instead of seeing who God is, what He has done for us, and what He has procured for us in the afterlife. If we stop being so hopelessly self-centered and micro-focused on the pain that we experience in this life, we will begin to see the greatness of God and the eternal picture in which He has procured for us life and life evermore. And I think that's what it all boils down to. Who or what are we focused on? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Sometimes when I go shopping, I, I, I'm going and I'm going in there to get one thing and get out. And I can be so focused. Anything could be happening around me and I just wouldn't even see it. And I think that's how God wants us to be with the temptation that we're so focused on him that we don't even see it. As I was looking up um, scripture, and I mean the one that came to my mind was fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and protector, author and finisher of your faith. Um, I found a version that actually was from the message that I think really ties everything together. And it was just so powerful. So I want to read that for you. Hebrews 12, it's from the message. It says this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it, strip down and start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish line in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, this will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed? So don't feel sorry for yourselves 
Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God, God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you, and that's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So today, what lure is Satan pulling out with us? Are we fixing our eyes on God? Are we choosing to go after what we think is the big prize, but really death is coming? Are we choosing sin over God? How about what's our attitude? Do we see it as something that will help make us more like Christ? Do we stay under the load? Do we endure? Are we allowing God to purify us? Do we see it as an opportunity for great joy. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for caring enough about us to train us and make us like you. Help us to have the right attitude, to be open to your shaping of our character. We confess we have sinned and picked worldly things over you time and time again. We've messed up. Make us clean today. Help us to keep our eyes on you and remember you have gone before us. Help us to remember the cross. In your name we pray, amen.